0: Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Tapcaf Transmissions, presented by Tapcaf Transmissions. I'm your host, Corey, and joining me, as always, on the only Star Wars podcast currently live on these channels, known as Corey's Data Pad, and wherever you're listening to it. Other than uh, other than that, is uh, Justin. How are you doing? You're here too.
1: Have you ever wondered whether maybe our introductions are like too efficient? No. No. Okay. I have wondered if it
0: doesn't come across that I'm doing that on purpose, so I do get a little worried about that.
1: Wow, why do these guys have a podcast? This one dude can hardly speak.
0: Well, that's a problem that I have regardless, but yeah, like finishing sentences is a skill that I never picked up. No. That's why most of my sentences end in but, and then I trail off.
1: And then I interrupt you, and our relationship works well like
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) We took improv classes for this.
1: Yeah. You you can't end a sentence, and I can't wait and be patient <laughs> to let someone s- finish speaking. It's perfect.
0: Well, I think if you actually look at the waveforms of the episodes, like whenever you're editing them, I speak more than you do. So I- I'm glad you have that impression because it's objectively wrong, and it makes me feel better about talking over you.
1: I will say I, n- I never noticed that you speak more than I do. No, I- I'd never actually noticed that, but maybe I'm not, I, I'm not surprised. Maybe I'm just like
0: primed to. To think that i am
1: yeah and besides I'll, i didn't say that i speak more i say that i cut off your rambling so it's like mm. even if you are even if it is 75 25 my 25 is coming in with no regard whatsoever for whether you're done your part that's how yeah. i see it
0: yeah well you also do like shutting off the stream in the middle of me talking so i'm glad that we haven't done an episode on your channel in i think a year i haven't now.
1: done that in a while yeah well, no, there's nothing you can...
0: You, you don't have control here. Sorry, I don't what? You don't have control here. Like, the, like, I'm still the one streaming. I don't understand why he thinks this is funny or a thing that he can get away with. Because, like, no one don't got interrupted there that was actually listening other <laughs> yeah. than himself. Well, Dennis I had own. the
1: nice Discord closing. I'm gonna, maybe I'll edit that in.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's fine.
1: Yeah. But uh, how are how are you today, Corey? I'm good.
0: Well? We should uh, we should maybe get into this by talking about some Star Wars because there's some big. First Star of all, Wars I want happened. to
1: wish you a happy week before your birthday. Mr. All right, Luzes. fine.
0: Happy birthday, Justin. Thank you. Because yours was uh, like three days ago, uh, four days ago, and four days ago. Yeah, but it yeah. counting is weird. Yeah. Yep. Do, what did you do? Do you, uh, do you do anything anything fun for your birthday?
1: No, I so I thought do I want to put your poisoning. camera back
0: up. By the way.
1: Oh, yeah, sorry. I I thought I had food poisoning, um, but it turns out it was actually like a a two-day flu, which I know wasn't food poisoning because the rest of my family ended up getting it (laughs) Hmm. the day that on my birthday. So we didn't do a whole lot. Um, Played some Elden Ring. Not much else.
0: You've been uh, been really cranking out the Elden Ring there, eh?
1: I've got 71 hours into the game.
0: Yeah. I've got 11. Well, you're level 99
1: no, I I think I'm about 105 now. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know
0: you could go above 100. That's
1: You can go to level 900. Like you can literally max out every single skill you have. It's just um the like the amount of runes you need increases dramatically, but you can technically completely max out a character. It's just like for PVP, people aim for about 120 because I think that's where cuz like matchmaking is based on player level. Um, right. So yeah, people aim for about 120.
0: All right. Well, there's been some big Star Wars news coming out in in the last few days. Mm. One piece of news that isn't quite as Star Wars related is that Disney is shit and uh, is still funding laws that suck, but or funding politicians yeah. who are voting for laws that suck and saying afterwards, "Oh no, we don't support that." But like, come on. But the other yeah. thing that happened is that Kenobi's trailer came out. Uh, mm-hmm. Any so, thoughts? I I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. But then everything I've seen since then has been complaining about the Inquisitor head.
1: It looks bad. But I mean, who cares? Not great. Like,
0: well, I've seen a lot of people saying that, uh, oh, well, they should have just got an actor whose head looks more like that. Like, no one's head looks enough yeah. like a Powin that they would have been okay with Maybe
1: it. Maybe for like the five minutes after birth, like some kids get the cone heads. Yeah. Uh, that could have worked. It you're right but they did an amazing job with the powens in i gotta say also i didn't realize the grand inquisitor was a powen um but i also I sort of think fake star wars fan well i yeah basically um but the i guess it was just mate was it makeup and do they have prosthetics and revenge of the Sith? i think because it was that looked, yeah looked great but i um, think it's the
0: same kind of situation where like what's the payoff or the trade-off between having to do it more as a series regular and having to actually do stuff in the prosthetics versus waddling up to Obi-Wan leaning in, whispering something and then walking away like right. you shit yourself. Cause-
1: it's kind of funny though. Do you remember the, um, do you remember the powens from like Revenge of the Sith, how they were like, or were, were you, were you into Star Wars when the trailers and stuff were coming yeah. out? Yeah. Remember The Powen, that one Powen, was like painted as if he was a villain, like if he was, like he was going to be a villain in the movie because he's creepy and had that one scene where he's like kind of smiling.
0: Yeah, and it taught us all a lesson about prejudice. Yeah. Well, like, uh, there has been a lot of like I think everyone would have preferred that they if they'd been able to get Jason and Isaac in to who did the voice in Rebels uh, to play him, and I think. Some people, just because he did the voice and because his head is a little bit skinnier, think that that would have been uh, visually closer. But really, I don't think those complaints in particular would have been different based on the actor. Like, if you look at pictures of Rupert Friend, he doesn't have the widest head or the shortest head. It's just when you're expecting the really tall Powen head, any real human is going to look... Uh, kind of disappointing. Like I get, mm. I get being disappointed. I just it doesn't bother me as much as it seems to bother. Yeah, it else. doesn't
1: really bother me either. I will say, like there are a few small, like having the contacts would have been nice. Yeah. Um, but like the Inquisitors have always looked really goofy. Um, they look goofy in this. They're going to be goofy. So yeah, I'm not really there for them. I'm there for Obi Wan anyway.
0: And like Jason Isaacs did express interest in coming back and was like kind of uh playing with the internet i think last year uh kind of hinting that he might have been coming back maybe not like all the thing about having uh so many ndas i almost said nfts that uh that he couldn't say anything or he'd have to like kill the interviewer but mm-hmm. like casting there's usually other factors beyond just basic interest so like i i doubt there w- they just went through the whole casting process and no one had the thought of, oh, maybe we should get him because he's actually a really good actor and already did the voice. There's probably a reason that he's not doing it, whether it's financial scheduling. So mm-hmm. I don't think it just never crossed their mind that, hey, maybe we should get the guy we got to do it before.
1: No, to- totally agree. I Part of my problem with Kenobi and them using the Inquisitors is like we kind of already know what happens to two of them. Yeah. Uh, the, I think the fifth brother is the one, and the Grand Inquisitor.
0: Well, I have so I don't want to spoil this for you, but we actually we know what happens to Obi Wan as well.
1: Well, yeah, and you say that as a, but like honestly, so yeah. it's it's going to be interesting to see how they tell a compelling story. Where I mean, obviously they were dealing with that throughout the prequels as well to a degree, but yeah.
0: I actually coming out of the trailer, I feel better about why the series exists than i did going in because uh, they they seem to be setting it up as uh
1: live action jedi fallen order
0: well <laughs> the, the the plot being more about obi-wan kind of getting some level of hope back mm-hmm. and it's yeah. like he's just lost everything and now we'll see him like looking over luke and see how he becomes the crazy old mm-hmm. wizard
1: were you surprised they um, showed Luke, like, already in the trailer?
0: A little bit, yeah, because yeah, I-, I thought that too. would be more of a reveal because they, they, I didn't think they want to give away all the effects of their de-aging technology, which I thought looked fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy how they, they shrunk him down, too.
0: Well, the shrinking, that's easy. You just kind of, like, <laughs> clip out the part of the scene he's in and then scale it down a little bit. It's like the kid <laughs> in Ma- at the end of Mass Effect 3. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but there's a scene <laughs> at the end of Mass Effect 3 <laughs> where talking about the shepherd uh yeah so it's it's said it's in the future it's after everything's said and done and you're like zooming in on this uh parent and child sci-fi background yeah that are like (laughs) sitting on a hill and telling stories about the shepherd and in the in the original i guess it wasn't as bad because it was like probably 480p or 320p but uh but mm-hmm. in the remastered version you can clearly tell it's just an adult model scaled down slightly <laughs> <laughs> it looks so bad
1: yeah i mean that ending i guess and we're getting way off topic but i, I don't think there's too much to talking about with this book but um that ending like i i was a really big mass effect friend me and my buddy alex were were huge mass effect fans um we we followed it all really closely, and then the, the when the third game came out, like the hysteria, hysteria was unlike anything I think I've ever seen since when it comes to yeah. a video game. Um, like for one, that ending got memed on so hard because it's like it looked like somebody searched like fantasy, sci-fi wallpaper, put that up, put the you know the two models up, and then after this big three-game series. Where there's essentially three endings, they're not branching at all. Yeah. Um, but the big thing was like people believed that there was a secret ending, yeah. um, and that Shepard had been indoctrinated and stuff. Um, and it was just like it was the most copium. Yeah. Of any like i've ever seen in any franchise ever i think
0: there was a really good video done on it by people make games a while back on like the oh really the ending of mass effect 3 and like fan response to it the attitudes of people who were working at bioware and mm-hmm. there was one thing where someone sent in cupcakes which like for the amount of harassment the studio was getting like i i would have been terrified at getting food sent i just wouldn't oh yeah for it. sure but mm-hmm. the it was pretty funny because it was like three different types of cupcake that looked like they were going to be different flavors, but it was just the icing. So once you opened it, it was <laughs> just the inside was all the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on the, uh, there'll be one stuff before we move on or
0: uh, no, it looks like I, I still, even though I have more of an understanding of what they're going to do with it now, I still, it's, it isn't one of those shows that I was most looking forward to because it is, uh, mm-hmm. A fair amount of stuff we know, but maybe it'll be like Boba Fett, and there's the the story. Really actually does elsewhere. seem like,
1: yeah, it, it ends up being the Grogu origin story. It does seem kind of like live action Jedi Fallen Order. If Mando uh, shows
0: up in this one, I will be very surprised, though.
1: Yes, that would not be great. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's talk about the book. The book. So. What's this book called? Survivors. Survivors. Quest? Quest. So reading
0: outbound flight. Sur- Prequel, postquel. Yeah,
1: yeah. Actually, it's kind of funny when I googled this. Uh, when I googled the book, the Wikipedia novel calls it, or sorry, yeah, the, the regular Wikipedia, not Wikipedia, calls it a sequel uh, to Vision of the Future, which I don't think is true. I don't think it's a sequel to Vision of the Future. I don't consider it to be a sequel. I,
0: I can see calling it that, but.
1: I-, I can see calling it that, like informally, but for a, yeah. for like an encyclopedia, I think factually it's not accurate. Well,
0: is the Hand of Thrawn duology a sequel to the Thrawn trilogy? No, no. Okay, no.
1: Okay. No, I don't think so. Um, I was disappointed in this book. I'm not going to lie. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it straight up. Um, this book had the one thing a lot of one thing and it's the thing that i am not a huge fan of generally in star wars novels and that is action which sounds weird these are sci-fi books like you would expect action to be you know um a big thing in it but i honestly find the way like especially when it's running through corridors non-stop it ends up just being like kind of incomprehensible not incomprehensible just like it just doesn't read very well. And it's not very exciting, I find. Especially when it's Luke and Mari. You know they're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, and this was, I think, the vast majority of this book was just them fighting against um, the Vagari on the ship. Maybe not the vast majority, but certainly a lot of it.
0: I'd say the la- the second half of it is. And the second mm-hmm. half definitely felt weaker to me, partially because of that. But I did enjoy like the setup in the first half uh, mm-hmm. where the... Uh, where it's about, like, oh, why are we on this mission? What are we doing? Who are all these people with us? You're setting up, like, the Chiss versus the Empire of the Hand tensions, uh, Formby as a character and Fell as mm-hmm. a character, and getting more of the more of the parts of Luke and mara's relationship that were kind of interesting in the Hand of Thrawn duology and their plot. The problem is, uh, even with that, is that, there's just that like a lot of star wars books you have the a plot and the b plot maybe have a c plot here mm-hmm. it is all luke and mara all, all the a time plot, yeah uh you get some other characters at the start when it's like uh we're gonna send but them but off generally the, they're
1: all in the yeah. same room usually like it's i guess my problem was there's the outbound flight has room for so much mystery you know what i mean yeah. and this book just didn't have it like i was expecting there to be more hints about what was actually going on with the outbound flight like the stuff that the actual novel deals with like what like the the idea of there being an expedition beyond the galaxy which is mysteriously stopped is a very very interesting idea but one this novel almost never plays with like most like the fact that the ship was destroyed by thrawn Isn't really brought up other than, well, Thrawn must have had a good reason to do it. Yeah. Um and keep in mind for
0: anyone who hasn't read this, this was written after or this was written before Outbound Flight itself. So there's another book that goes over all that stuff. But this Mm -hmm. is like introduced on its own. Like Exactly. It's the only exploration we have at the point. So sorry.
1: And the Outbound Flight, it's been a long time since I've read it, but I really like that novel because for one, all those mysteries are very compelling. And this book has a lot of really interesting stuff to play with, especially given the fact that this wasn't released in the late '90s, like the Thrawn duology. This was least released in 2004, so you could have made sort of passing references to a more specific outside threat. You could have hinted at the Yuzhan Vong. They do hint at them a little bit, saying that the Vagari may be working for them. Um, but you could have—they could—he have, could have done a lot more, I thought, yeah. to really play up the mystery, because, like. Star Wars often uses the unknown region as like the great beyond um, where yeah. it's like the, the, even like, it's like another frontier where like beyond the edge of the galaxy for me as a kid, that was always like, what's what sort of evil is lurking out there. And this book doesn't play with those kind of ideas at all in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Like this might actually be one of the weakest endings to any of the books that we have read so far mm-hmm. uh, because there's, the only thing that really gets resolved is that the drones are the Vigari. And, mm-hmm. well, maybe we should lay out the overall plot first to a quick summary. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Luke and Mara get contacted by Formby, who was, uh, or by Park, rather, who was the Empire of the Hand leader they met in the Hand of Thron duology. They're called out to the Unknown Regions, and they go on an expedition with the Chiss into a Chiss uh, defensive uh, system kind of thing. It, it's a bunch of stars. It's a really dense star cluster. But mm-hmm. this is where they, the Chiss have found the remains of the upbound flight project, which, as Justin explained, is an old Republic project to leave the galaxy. It's six dreadnoughts organized around a core. Thrawn had to had destroyed it like 60 years earlier, and now Form B allegedly wants the new republic to be able to come back claim it for the jedi and the new republic because it was a joint jedi and republic project and hijinks ensue because the vagari are mm-hmm. there and they have to fight off the vagari but the vagari are the only part of the plot that really does get resolved like mm-hmm. they're all killed off and they managed to fly one of the dreadnoughts away which i completely forgot
1: yeah me too <laughs>
0: But nothing, it, it may, it's symbolically, it makes a lot of sense because it symbolizes the plot entirely leaving behind all the characters and mysteries they've set up on outbound yeah. flight.
1: It was, it was, that, that part was really weird too because, for one, it's not super clear what's happening. I was also wondering where the hell is Luke's lightsaber because he throws it away and then he's like, well, it is what it is. <laughs> um, and then he's, he's willing to give away the other lightsaber he's got to, because he finds another lightsaber that ends up being pretty important. Or could have been important had he not find, found his own. And he's like, "Do you want this back? Like, what was his plan? He's gonna go and like, chucking fists if he didn't find his lightsaber." <laughs> but um. But yeah, th- that whole section was really weird too because I was like, I don't quite understand how they're leaving. Okay, they got the dreadnought. Like, why 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 is no one chasing them? Like, what's going on with the ship they're on? Like, what's going on with Mara's freighter or Mara's ship? Um, but yeah, definitely definitely weird like this isn't a very consequential novel which ends up being disappointing um I know it's compared it's I I read on I think in either an interview or one of the wiki pages that it's basically the the Luke and Leia version or sorry Luke and Mara version of Tatooine Ghost which is a a Han and Leia story about them going to Tatooine um but even that novel I think kind of has more interesting tie-ins to the prequels and they're also the same because they take place in a time period that is largely set, or that was largely written before the prequels came out, like the Bantam era of novels, the New Republic era, but was written after the prequels or during the prequels. So there's lots of interesting ways to kind of yeah. tie in stuff that you never could before, and this book kind of fails to do that.
0: Yeah, like this could have been a great opportunity to have Luke explore like his relationship to what the Jedi of the prior days could have been, because we know what they are now. Uh, mm-hmm. And even though it would have to be done in a way that kind of jives with what we know from the New Jedi Order, because that's all been written already, uh, it, it, there was an opportunity there. There could have been some more growth in Luke and Mara's relationship, but we kind of get introduced to them still working as a perfect team. And we mm-hmm. never really get any, uh, any growth for either of them or any examination of either of them beyond Mara still kind of uh, struggling with her survivor's guilt from the Empire uh, which comes up twice, but it's not something that she ever directly addresses with anyone, especially mm. when there are characters like fell there or uh, yeah. like just having another conversation with Park and like the the elder fell that never happens. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing is you you could have at least had an exploration of like these people on outbound flight who survived for 60 years They end up not wanting to go back to the New Republic, uh, but...
1: They're seeing the Jedi as evil for some reason.
0: Yeah, they're just sent off... Which no one
1: really questions.
0: They're just sent off to live in the Empire of the Hand with, like, Mm -hmm. they never comment on that, other than the fact that Evelyn's not going, like, this young Jedi girl, basically, that's not going with Luke and Mara back to the galaxy, uh, because she's kind of hoping that maybe, like, Park is hoping that'll lure Luke and Mara out to set up a Jedi Academy in the unknown regions and work with them. But Mm -hmm. like there's also this whole thing throughout the throughout the book of like, oh the the administrators that are left on outbound flight think the Jedi are evil. They keep them in a quarantine when they're young and then in prison for the rest of their lives. We never hear about that again. Luke and Mara are like, oh shit, that sucks. Anyways, bye everyone like, yeah, are they even, coming back they, to the New
1: Republic? The 501st seems to care more about, yeah. like... And for those unclear, the unclear, this isn't Vader's 501st. This is, like, a new reconstituted 501st of the Empire of the Hand. They've got, like, aliens and stuff in them. Yeah. I like those characters, actually. Um, but, yeah... yeah. It, I like. I was also waiting for... And I, I guess they hate the Jedi because of Sabayoth kind of going mad yeah. at the end, though. It's understandable uh,
0: why they have that attitude in the first place, but it never gets addressed by Luke and Mara in any meaningful way.
1: And when you read this book, too, and I, and I mean, I guess you can see The Upbound Flight as like a prequel, sequel. You don't know that Sabayoth went mad either. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit weird that the book... And, like, it's not that it's not satisfying, because we do know. It's just weird that, like, Luke never says, like, why do you guys hate Jedi so much? Like, what well, happened?
0: They the focus with the Jedi part is on Lorana Jinsler, who's the sister of the, quote-unquote, new Republic ambassador who faked his way onto the journey. Uh, he's really just a tech who was working in a message station, and he, mm-hmm. he wants to come because his sister was on the flight as a Jedi. But uh, I liked him, by the way. They all believe, yeah, uh, they all believe on the ship that Lurana, uh abandoned them, like mm-hmm. just left left them alone. And what you learn about flight, and which is what is hinted at here, is that actually she was, her and Thrawn's brother uh, were responsible for saving the ship, crashing it in safely to where they ended up landing. Uh, yeah. so she didn't actually abandon them, but they never mentioned that either. He finds the lightsaber, he hands it over and never, like, there's no context to be able to say like, oh, well, she didn't abandon you. She had a dreadnought landed on her because she was saving your ass. But mm-hmm. I don't think they really address that with anyone other than Dean. Like the the resolution with the Lorana plot is that uh, Dean Ginsler realizes that maybe his parents did love him after all and that he just made up a bunch of other memories, which mm-hmm. doesn't really help the resolution yeah. with
1: the rest of it. he has got to be old as fuck by now, right? Like yeah. he's got to be in his sixties or seventies.
0: Yeah. I guess you're supposed to take the, the extrapolation of like, he invented his problems with her. So everyone else did as well, but
1: mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was just, just weird. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It just, just weird.
0: <laughs> it's also unclear why the Vagari, we're going there, like that they wanted. The dreadnought is, I guess, what it comes down to, but
1: yeah. Well, and that's that was another weird part. Um, so there's a few things the Vigari want. Mara thinks that they are they've come for the droids because there aren't really droids in the Unknown Region. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not necessarily convinced that the Vigari, who are like a nomadic slaving race, would have had the means to, based on finding a droidica to produce a, a, yeah. any meaningful amount. Um, even like the one dreadnought, like it's gone to shit. It's got no weapons left. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just not super compelling and neither also, also the, um, the chisses. So it turns out that the chiss kind of realized that the Vigari, like what was going on. Yeah. And well, at least one chiss did. Um, it was, it was for me, right? Who realized it? Formby,
0: um, so this is one of the places where it, it it almost feels like Zan was tripping over himself to get to this plot point, and so forgot everything else that was happening in the book. But yeah. it's it turns out this whole expedition was engineered by Formby in cooperation with Park from the get go to draw out the Vigari and trick them into mm-hmm. attacking the Chiss, so the Chiss would be able to go and wipe out the Vigari, And Luke and Mara at the end are like okay, this seems very Thrawny, and this turns out to be exact, pretty much what Thrawn was doing with other people in the past. So mm-hmm. the heavy, heavy implication at the end of the book is that there is, in fact, another Thrawn clone out there cooperating with the Empire of the Hand and the Chiss, at least through Formby in some way. And it seems like Zan wanted to get to that reveal in the last page so much that mm-hmm. he kind of didn't want to address anything else.
1: And... <sighs> That's interesting, I guess. But my problem with it is the way Formy describes it is that their main issue is he needs the provocation. Yeah. Like, because of chess military doctrine prevents first strikes. The Empire of the Hand doesn't have that issue, though. Yeah. Um, so, unless, unless it's supposed to be the Empire of the Hand didn't know where the Vigari were at all, which doesn't seem likely. And even if that was the case, they could have just, like, stayed and let them. Expose themselves and then destroy the ship before everything goes down. So like the empire of the hands would not, it doesn't need to adhere to the same naval doctrine as, yeah. as the, as the Chiss Thrawn is more than happy to do uh, first strike. So.
0: Yeah. Like maybe it's a thing where the empire of the hand is too busy getting ready for what's going to be the Vong or what Zan's idea of what the Vong should have been retroactively. Uh, and maybe it's just a park and form BC an opportunity to have the empire of the hand and the chess work more directly together on some of these things. Mm -hmm. But
1: I think, I think my other problem is um, with the empire of the hand or with this novel, it's like the empire of the hand is already this really kind of strange and nebulous thing because on one hand in the throne duology we see that they're this massive faction with a lot of power but on the other hand it's like it seems like they've got one base on one world um so i was hoping and obviously that's not the case like we do get some hints that like yeah a lot of their power comes from the fact that they've got lots of little factions united and whatnot but i was hoping that this novel would kind of more explore like what they were actually like mm-hmm. um but not they they didn't which i, I thought was a little disappointing
0: Yeah, like most of the Empire of the Hand stuff is just that Jack fell is there. And I actually, I really like Jack as a character. Yeah, me too. He he was cool. did die. Uh, I
1: think. Wait, what?
0: He's dead later on. I'm trying to think of when that was. Because I think it's it's in Darkness Crisis, I think, that they're talking to to So So Maybe it was later.
1: New Jedi Order Dark Journey.
0: Oh, so was it? Hold on.
1: It says he dies but doesn't say how he died.
0: Yeah, cuz they find out in a conversation with Soon Oh, no, here happy.
1: he goes. It says in behind the scenes, Fell's only been directly mentioned by name in one other story, Darkness One Joiner King.
0: Okay, yeah. So, uh, cuz it, it didn't it seemed weird to me that it, it would have been NJO stuff. Uh, cuz Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Cuz the indirect mention only, I think that's with like a listing of their kids. Yeah, but
1: it is. Mm.
0: And then yeah, soon to when uh, when Luke and Mara ask how Chak is, she's like, "Yeah, dude's dead."
1: Yeah, not <laughs> not great. I I'm just gonna say, <laughs> uh, yeah, not great. Like, what happens to,
0: to the Jedi? What happened? Like, are they just yeah. still locked in there? Did they even get taken off the planet? Because that was the separated dreadnought.
1: Yeah, um, I wish... That's one thing, like, I wish... Like, I find it really satisfying when Luke does his Pokemon thing and picks up a new Jedi to add to his party. Yeah. Like, with Kip Durin. And this would have been a nice opportunity to do that. One more, even if it was, like, a... Uh, like, there's lots of Jedi mentioned during the New Jedi Order by name, without a whole lot of detail. This could have been an interesting opportunity to maybe add one of those in. Yeah. Um, but... On the other hand, you don't I guess you don't not everything needs to be interconnected.
0: Yeah, but like they they spend the most of the book with like Rosemary saying like, "Oh, please take Evelyn with you when you leave." It's like, "Yes, we will." Actually, no, we she's coming with us. It's fine. Yeah. This, we're still going with this colony that still hates Jedi. You you also are not taking the ones that we've imprisoned for however long. We're not going to address them. You're not going to see them. It's like I was like, I I kind of forgot about that element of it. And now I know why I forgot about it. But I was going through the whole thing like, oh, I I can't wait for this part where Luke and Mara get to one of these, uh, one of these force users and see what's going on there. Like, I'm curious what's happening with that or how that gets resolved. And it it doesn't.
1: Fuck them kids. Luke Skywalker, 22, ABY.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's also weird that they'd have a problem with the Republic and then agree to go to the Empire of the Hand, which is like at least partially an outgrowth of the Blue Skins, who they hate, and the Empire, who were the part of the Republic that they hated.
1: Did you watch uh, Sean's video on Harry Potter? I did. It, a lot of Mara's thinking kind of reminded me of his, I think, rightful criticisms of J.K. Rowling, yeah. where... It's like, it's not fascist empires that are bad. It's fascist empires led by bad people. Yeah. (laughs) Like, um, and that was like one thing that Mara's kind of bring up a lot. And we don't really end up getting that resolved. Like we don't, and that's something that's kind of maybe one issue of the like post-NJO or even really post kind of original empire conflicts generally that we do get the good empire yeah. And
0: like, I don't think it's something that doesn't get resolved. I think the resolution is that like, I think that might just be Zan's position himself of like Palpatine's the problem, not necessarily the empire. The empire could bring order, uh, which mm-hmm. uh, that part has never made sense to me from either perspective. Cause like the, we had all this order until those rebels came along. Like how's the empire going to stop all this squabbling if you're not counting the squabbling of the rebellion as being mm-hmm. a thing they couldn't stop but
1: yeah so i don't know that's i, I i'm kind of curious to see i'm am glad that new canon hasn't done that like we we get a little bit about like they i think they i forgot what they call them it's like centrists and where it's like a strong centralized power and then there's i forget what the other factions called this is from bloodline and it turns out that like a lot of the centrist ends up be, centrist end up being fascists, and like yeah. they don't even really want a good empire; they just want like it, what ends up being the first order. They just want empire generally. Yeah. Um. So I'll be curious to see like how new canon deals with that, especially once we start getting stuff and like because they've got a kind of interesting opportunity where I, like I don't know if they're gonna make a new New Republic or just called. I I, I think they'll probably just end up calling it the Republic actually. Yeah. Um. But. We'll have kind of a fresh political state. So I kind of wonder how they're going to manage this conversation.
0: And we're going to have kind of a, probably a similar discussion, at least partially on what exactly is the political message that Zan is trying to make in outbound flight. Because he is, Mm -hmm. he's said explicitly, it's about the Iraq war. And so there's the people who don't want to attack no matter what that are being put in the in the bad light of like the Chiss ascendancy and how they operate. And then Thrawn doing what's necessary with the invasion and attack on the Vagari and on the uh mm-hmm. bone flight. So it's like, I'm not sure your take here was great, but, and like, this is not me projecting something onto it. This is something that he said in an interview that like, you can talk about the Iraq, you can talk about uh war with star Wars and Thrawn without ever having to say the words Iraq war and all the emotions that come with that. So mm-hmm. like that that is a him thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. Uh, like there's not a pretty answer to, to some of these issues. <laughs> Put simply. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. Yeah.
0: How about them Jeroons, though?
1: I I couldn't remember what the Vigari looked like. I assume that was like that they were them, but I couldn't remember if they had two mouths or not. (laughs) Yeah, and this would have been
0: like the for anyone reading the book the first time, this would have been like the first time it was introduced. So it's easy for the reader to not see it. I don't know why the Vigari thought they could get away with it because like the Chiss (laughs) did know the whole time this is what a Vigari was, and especially Mm -hmm. when it gets set up as them being like this ancestral, uh, like historical enemy of the Chiss, not just from the fight with uh with Thrawn and the outbound flight, but like a threat that they have dealt with in a few times or had just around them a species that has been in their region pretty much forever.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: Forum is like, Oh yeah, we we knew. This is fun yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. I I kind of like the idea of like I think for a species like the Vigari or even like the Grisk which are kind of the canon version of the Vigari. I don't know if the Vigari are also canon but they the are. Grisk are, are a similar idea. I I, I think almost like a slaver collective yeah works well for that reason. Kind of like the um uh from the High Republic the uh, the, the Nihil um because when a lot of their like especially for the Grisk who like their big thing is like they infiltrate, um, like organizations yeah. and like. But if like if your species is known for infiltrating organization and you're hosting a job fair and a Grisk shows up, it's like maybe don't hire him. <laughs> Racist, but <laughs> it's like the like the republic like the republic human the republic sentient rights legislation. Doesn't allow uh, hiring decisions based on whether a species is known for scheming.
0: <laughs> okay, this is Bothans where this is where st- we get back to, to Sean's video though, where like, sure, the fact that yes. it ends up being true at the end because they they all have to be written that way. The
1: to... so, do you think that the Bothans? Past Sean's test okay so so for those who don't know because we're we we talk about obscure but now we're getting even further obscure there's a youtuber named Sean he does lots of interesting videos and he did one about Harry Potter with a lot of criticism most of which I thought was very accurate yeah. but one of his best criticisms in my opinion was about how JK Rowling handles sentient like different races because the biggest flaw in the Harry Potter novels, in my opinion, is how he correctly pointed out what should have been the major conflict in the series, aside from Harry Potter versus, um, versus, uh, Voldemort. I almost said, yeah, I almost a Palpatine versus Voldemort, which is kind of like the Luke versus Darth Vader, Luke versus Emperor. That's kind of just an individual conflict that's, you know, representative of the much larger conflict, the good versus evil, where... In Harry Potter, that should have been the fact that there are slaves, like a lot of slaves. Everyone has slaves. Everyone who's not a human wizard is basically a slave or an underling. And yeah, that's an issue. But he pointed out, too, that a lot of the, whether it's the, uh, are they elves or dwarves, the bankers?
0: The goblins.
1: Goblins, right. Goblins. Um, The goblins have this thing where they're basically just greedy. And they're, they're, there's more nuance to that, but they're just greedy. And that ends up just being kind of like a immutable biological characteristic. They're greedy. Um and that's a lot less compelling than uh he or, or like the house house elves, for example, just like to serve humans or wizards. And that's a lot less compelling. He gave another example. Do you remember the name of that series he was talking about? Uh Discworld. Yeah, Discworld, right. I've never read them before, I've heard they're great. Um he he gave an example where that's that species or that book also has i don't know if it was elves or another species and they the have similar characteristics. example yeah so there are there are other species which seem to kind of have these same characteristics but it turns out that there's actual like sociological reasons for and that's much more compelling than just these are orcs they're bad these are elves so they're this these are dwarves and they're i'm kind of I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but
0: it's a thing that like other franchises that have those kinds of uh, like racial traits, racial alignments have been getting away from more recently as well. Right. It's been a whole controversial thing in like D&D uh, recently, right. which I think like Sean actually brought up is that uh, mm-hmm. different species or races used to have like a, a a set alignment on the whole alignment chart and it. So like orcs mm-hmm. were evil, and now that's more of a like player choice situation, and like development of the character. But...
1: Yeah, and it's it's tough too because like for something like for orcs, it, it's kind of tough because especially when you get into into fantasy settings where like so much of at least like classical fantasy seems to be very tropey. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like you're really kind of trying to examine those tropes, where it's like, is it okay to have a faction that's just bad? You know, like is it okay to have orcs which are just evil? Um, and so, so when it comes to Star Wars, you know, Bothans are a good example, and I, I think Bothans probably pass. Uh, but the problem is too we we don't we learn that Bothans are like this because this is kind of how their society is formed. And we get a Seer
0: Sela who goes in and like, we get counter examples of people who are uh, proving that that's not in just some like innate Bothan trait that it's like society is set up that way. There's issues with their society the same way there's issues Mm -hmm. with everyone else, but Bothans can go through the entire spectrum of, of what we'd consider behavior or culture or whatever. The same way humans just naturally we assume like, oh, they can be of whatever alignment or whatever uh, ideology. Yeah.
1: I think ideally, like if you were really going to be perfect about it, you would show why the Bothan society got that way because if you don't, you kind of risk the Bothans are just X because yeah. like their society is set up this way because they are this way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Bothans are, are backstabby because their society is like this, but if you don't you know explain why the society is like this you kind of just like you know and die ghost fish says not every story will have the time to explain why a species acts a certain way there was a 1200
0: page duology it, yeah, that's, about why <laughs> boffins suck where they could have gone exactly. into at least one paragraph where a character wasn't just saying fuck the boffins they're making this so yeah. hard on themselves and because they're yeah, just exactly. shitty like that and so like, like, you're not going to get that with everyone, but like you had 1200 yeah. pages to do that.
1: Right. And like a, a counter example would be the Nogri who like the Nogri could have very easily just been, these are evil hunters who like to kill people, but they've got a very interesting backstory where their planet was basically fucked over and they've been tricked and everything else. I, and like, Go ahead. sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I don't know that the Nogri nested like they work on the
0: whole good versus evil thing, but they also kind of fit into the uh almost the house elf mold of like oh they just want to serve someone and they're happy being these kind of
1: Yeah, that's And anyone who
0: like it like any Nogri who doesn't fit into that, uh who wouldn't be like falling over themselves to serve Vader and then Leia isn't Mm -hmm. because like they'd be just because they're weird like that's just not how
1: that I think, I think that's probably fair i guess i was referring more to their i i wasn't really thinking of that those characters are thinking more of like their motivations for being evil e- for being evil rather yeah. than but yeah and it's like in star wars like listen this is this is star wars like that if somebody wanted to make bothans more interesting they could have all you have to do um,
0: in the context of Hand of Thrawn duology, you have to change absolutely nothing other than having the operative within Talon Cards organization that works with Wedge on y be a Bothan instead.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or in like you, you can, and just like this isn't just like it's not a, a social justice thing either. It's just species are more interesting if they're not just this is the greedy species or this is the the species that likes to backstab each other like i think you could tell an interesting story about why the bothans got to be this way um without like and saying that bothans are competitive isn't a reason you know what i mean because like Or like, Bothan society has been, Bothan society is cutthroat, but like, why? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, like in a a book that's ultimately about how do you make reparations and what is, what does it mean for a group to take responsibility for what some of them might have been involved in in the past? Or like, what is a reasonable step for the Bothans to have taken after Bothan involvement? Like, whether like the government just helping to make things right, or Mm -hmm. uh, whether individuals are taking any action? There's not really a point in the Hand of Thrawn duology where they're not just uh, stymieing the process of finding out what happened for their own yeah. benefit. Like, There's not really a scene in Hand of Thrawn duology where people are talking about Bothans, regardless of what side they're on, of like, oh, the Bothans need to be punished as a whole versus we need to find out who's actually responsible, where people aren't talking about the Bothans as just being a net nuisance that is ruining this both for themselves and for everyone else.
1: Yeah, and it is, it is partially like the Star Wars thing where like the defining traits of one character end up kind of being the defining traits of the species, yeah. like the crime lord Hots. Um, I mean, it, it's not quite true with Bothans because borskphalia was kind of developed like along like when Boriskhaliya is introduced in Air the Empire, he's not held out as being weird for a Bothan. You know what I mean? Yeah. But
0: well. He's like he's shown as being this kind of like the this kind of new breed of uh, Republic politician. Now that they're mm-hmm. not in the middle of the war, that sees as much benefit to themselves from opposing someone like Akbar rather than working together against their common enemy. Uh, and, like, making themselves easy prey for Thrawn's machinations, but then the entire Bothan species ends up being based on, like, Laren Crefay and Bors mm-hmm. and what is supposed to be this one character who's doing this thing gets almost, like, uh, species-flanderized as this is their trait.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's a great way to put it. Which, and ironically, Falei kind of goes used-
0: away from it at the end, where he blows himself up to save everyone, but...
1: Yeah, and the Theron duology is probably like the ultimate example of that in a way. Yeah, where it's like, it where it is examining the Bothans as a whole, and they are as failure was, but worse, really. Yeah, um, because like the Bothan, like the, their guilt in this is like, for one, not only did they do this thing, they've known about it, they've lied about it, and they've lied about a million other things along the way. And they don't have a lot of remorse for it.
0: Yeah. And we do get a Seer Selah who kind of goes against this entrenched Bothan leadership situation, mm-hmm. but she just kind of gets disappeared off page. Like, Oh, she's doing stuff about that. And then that's how you kind of get with it.
1: Yeah. I think my favorite part of that video was when, uh, there was a funny line about how Harry Potter wished he had his, uh, how he had the ministry of, uh, uh, magic secret police to follow draco malfoy around the castle and then he remembers that he's got a slave got, yeah, instead two
0: slaves <laughs> yeah not great when's hermione gonna shut up about the slavery
1: <laughs> that was my big problem because i i reread as we we discussed i reread harry potter um last year and i really liked the first four books because i as like whimsical, childlike fantasy, but I it really really fell apart with like the five to seven, yeah. and I thought I th- I think his point at the end where like the final, the final book and the final battle especially ends up coming down to like these new mechanics and this master wand and stuff, it's a lot less interesting than something like compare it to Star Wars where, you know, say what you will about Return of the Jedi whether there's some issues with that movie or not. I, it's my favorite but when Darth Vader defeats Palpatine when Luke defeats Palpatine it's not because there was he had a magic lightsaber it's because you know he wins the the battle for like his father's soul you know what i mean yeah. it's like it's like the the triumph of good versus evil wherein like something like Harry Potter and this is this is applicable because like all of it, like all of this is similar literature um it ends up coming down to you know lore basically yeah. instead of story
0: yeah and like on the positive side we do get some of this exploration of the Chiss, who get like overall much less screen time in star wars where mm-hmm. uh, there is this central conflict between uh Chiss doctrine of like no first strikes and you you know there's that division where there's uh some people within the government who agree with that and then there's these other elements like thron uh, in this book, you also have like Form B. You have uh, Park and the people working with the Empire of the Hand, who don't fit within this cultural monolith of like this is just the don't attack first VCs. Mm-hmm. But and you you kind of have Drask throughout the book, kind of being a foil on the Empire of the Hands policies with that and complaining about Thrawn the whole time even though it turns out he's working with the guy like Drask is unaware of Form B having set all this up that like he doesn't know that the the Vigari are the Vigari
1: yeah yeah I mean and the Chiss are, are, are a good example of if you do care you can make them like obviously if you do the I mean, the, the Chiss are very fleshed out in canon, but, I mean, that's partially because we've had, what, three full novels where yeah. all they do is travel between battlefields yeah. <laughs> and talk. But, I mean, you can make for more complex species, and you can understand why the Chiss are the way they are because they live, like, you know, they live in this area of space. But even, even with that being said and knowing their history, like not all chess adhere to yeah. their kind of dominant cultural whatever yeah. um yeah
0: it's something that aaron alston and michael stackpole do so much better than zen in pretty much every example though like the the more interesting examples of like both culture and behavior do come from them and like the the contrast between what a seer sale is doing and what borsk Feli is doing, what you still have other characters like Laren Crafe that are fitting more in the borsk mold, but it's usually done in this way. That's presenting this internal conflict within their society for how the traditionalists versus, uh, what like a seer is pushing for, uh, more inclusive, uh, less secretive politicking, less family alliances, uh, like, that's all coming more from them. And they're able to have characters like Oral and Asir, like a, a pretty decent variety of species where you get some elements that are like, okay, this species is kind of like this, but this is also a way that that can be uh, inverted or played against, or so you can see where this kind of comes from, but isn't necessarily an inherent trait to who they are, that mm-hmm. like you could act differently if you weren't in that specific situation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said, I think. Um any other main discussion points for this book that you wanted to hit? Uh
0: no, did I I do I really did enjoy the first half of this book and it, it does it the lack of resolution to a lot of the plots is really where my big problem with it comes in. Like there's just so much there that would have been interesting to get the answer to that we just kind of don't because we get some drawn out action sequences. Mm-hmm. And so I I definitely agree with you there, uh, and I, I probably wouldn't even have thought about putting that together if you hadn't said that off the start. Because I I've been thinking of like what what is what is leaving me unsatisfied about this book coming out of it. But I think you mentioning that kind of put mm-hmm. me on the right track.
1: I think part of the disappointment too is that this is, for one I I'm glad this book exists. I, like if it were this like. I like that there are smaller scale stories like this. Um, I've got no problem with that at all. I like that there's a Luke and Mara story that's overall not super consequential. Um yeah. and it, it, there's there's a little hint. Did you okay, be, be, before I continue with this plot or this uh, this discussion thread, do you think that are the Vigari working for the Vong at this point? They're in, were you expecting a Vong reference in this like at all versus what we got?
0: I wasn't expecting a more direct reference. I I don't know if it was meant to be that the Vigari were working for the Vong. Yeah, maybe not. I think it was more just like, this is another threat that's in the region that needs to go before we can be ready for the Vong. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, there's just one line where they mentions where someone mentions that maybe the Vigari are working for one of the... Yeah. Or in service. But anyway, as I was saying, I'm glad that these less consequential stories exist, but it's disappointing because, for one, it's a subject matter that... Is like it's a it's a very unique opportunity to go back in the Bantam era and tell an interesting story before everything changes. For two, it's Timothy Zahn, so you already have fairly high expectations, or at least I do. Um, for three, it's Luke and Mara. We don't get that many Luke and Mara stories, um, and I, I guess that's mostly it. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-invasion. Oh, and for four, it's the Empire of the Hand, um, which sort of get dropped in a way. Um, and with all those being said, the story that we end up getting because of its potential for me ends up being a lot more disappointing than it would be if this were, you know, Luke and Han on this adventure, you know, in 14 ABY or whatever.
0: Yeah. I think part of the, part of the issue with like the Vigario, do they connect with the Vong? is that Zan did have seemingly a different idea of what the invasion arc could have ended up looking like, mm-hmm. like which is understandable when he's writing the Hand of Thrawn duology before the Yuuzhan Vong actually starts, before it's properly planned out. But now in Survivor's Quest, rather than try to like adapt some of what his assumptions were, he does seem to just want to keep going in whatever direction he had planned, uh, like whatever he had come to, which I've, it would be the first time that Zan has done that. So... Uh, but I, I still did enjoy the book. I really wish the ending had addressed some of just some of what the book had set up aside from just, oh, we've killed the Vigari, who we didn't even know were a problem at the start. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: And we don't even really resolve the Vigari. It's just like, oh, we know where they are now. They point them in the direction. You can assume they get dealt with off screen. But mm-hmm. even
1: that. They get, yeah, they get cyrooked. Yeah. Um. So where are you yeah. putting this? I'm putting this as a C. I liked it. I enjoyed it. But because it did end up disappointing me, it's getting knocked down from a a B, which for me would be like average, just getting knocked down to a C.
0: Yeah, like I I basically enjoyed all the moments in the moment. It's just the lack of getting to uh, those resolutions to hold it back. I might have to go with you on C there. Okay. Which I think is our lowest ranked for like i think all the ascendancy books we've also put at b or higher or did you put any of them at c or d
1: i may have put one of them at c okay not sure
0: but this is definitely our lowest average because i think all of mine were a little bit higher at least yeah so
1: i i was i I was expecting because i i think i've read read this one ages ago but i didn't remember very much of it i was expecting even though i know the answer to the mysteries that's another thing i was expecting there to be some really compelling hooks in there like, some hints at, you know, what's what's yeah. out there. Like, who are these? Because Zon, that's especially frustrating now because it's two books where he's alluded to this big dark force or this big enemy, and instead of, like, Mara calling Park, and, like, can we get a little more, like, a few more details at least? Yeah. It's just, like... Eh.
0: Yeah, like, I don't know. That, that was one of the things coming in with me. Like, I, I hadn't read it for a while as well. I was... Uh, I remembered all the subplots roughly. Like I remember, like oh, there's this thing, there's this thing. There's uh, there was something with Jedi. There was the Vigari uh, There was like someone's tracking Luke and Mara. So I was like, oh, I, I don't remember how they resolve. So that's great because I can come in and I can still get whatever fun from the mysteries. But then it just the reason I don't remember is because they didn't. So
1: yeah, almost see. no mystery. Very very strange especially if you want to sell the outbound flight like just from a practical perspective like if you want to sell the outbound flight like because that book ends up answering a lot of questions that we you don't have yet (laughs) like yeah like if you answer like even just like thrawn had a reason for doing this that was like not just killing jedi way darker than you know like okay like i'm in (laughs) like sounds interesting (laughs)
0: The answer turns out to be, Palpatine told him to. <laughs> well, Palpatine
1: tells him about the Vong, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. yeah that, so
0: like, but they. One of the weaknesses with that whole argument is that the Vong are coming anyways, and but he I mean, doesn't
1: he he mentions it outright in the upbound flight, doesn't he? Doesn't yeah. There are these invaders coming, and yeah. if they you're leave the galaxy,
0: off. you're going to point like you're going to draw them to us, and it i don't I don't think the logic there necessarily tracks it it doesn't hold up to no. to too much scrutiny so it ultimately turns into uh the justification for Thrawn doing what he did is listening to the guy whose judgment the rest of the galaxy is kind of kind of soured on
1: <laughs> yeah. but
0: we got a few questions for this week next week we are gonna be doing uh we're gonna be doing a pure Q&A episode, looking back at the first 99 episodes of Tapcaf, the first uh, 50 or so books, the Bantam era, and kind of talking about the going from Bantam to Del Rey. Uh, so we've got two emails for this week. Uh, and then after that, for episode 100, we do have Ilkin locked in for the 24th to talk about uh, Vector Prime. So our first question, Justin comes from christopher who asked what role or storylines do you think mara would have played or taken part in young jedi knights had her marriage to luke been done before the books and mara That's had a been question. a regular character as jason and jaina's aunt
1: it's a really good question actually that was that was one that i found myself thinking about while reading as well so i'm surprised it's not come up yet um i i think we may have seen mara kind of a stand-in as like a, a mission giver for luke occasionally um where like um she shows up at the like i don't think she would have been used in a very like a really compelling way other than that she's a little outside the kind of cult like of the jedi especially at at this point um i'm actually not especially at this point earlier on especially but even still like she could kind of be like a foil for not a foil, but she could kind of be uh, a cool adult for the kids yeah. to bounce Jedi problems off of. Where like Luke doesn't understand because Luke's basically he's cool, but he's still kind of a monk. He's a little he's a little far into it. Yeah. Where like Mara's been not a monk for a long time, so she's like, yeah, this this stuff is harder than Luke realizes because he's gifted and he you know he doesn't get it.
0: Yeah, or like yeah, having a lightsaber would be really cool, Jason. But this is. So this is why you can play with mine while your uncle doesn't doesn't watch or something. Mm-hmm. But totally agree.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I don't think she would have played a major role in any situation because they didn't have much room for more characters, and Luke was only in it so much. But like, definitely the the more relatable, cooler Jedi master was a role we didn't really have filled.
1: Oh, maybe um maybe she would have remembered that Luke and Leia say, share the same birthday. On that, I forget which novel that was. But remember when it's Leia's birthday, and no one wishes Luke happy birthday? At all? I
0: I don't remember that.
1: You don't remember that? That's like the very end. They they have a big celebration specifically for Leia's birthday, and like is
0: that in one of the books we've already done?
1: Yeah, one of the Young Jedi Knights books. You don't remember that? I uh, no. It's Leia's birthday, and they're, oh, like, did, throwing I a big think, yeah, party did we for her. We talked about that. Yeah, they're throwing a big party for her, and, like, Luke's wishing her happy birthday. Like, okay. you guys are fucking okay. twins. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Maybe they celebrate That wasn't a secret, different. either. Sister, you have a twin sister. Watch the movies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they can't watch the movies. They're in the universe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Alright, so our second question for the week comes from Joel, who asks, How does Survivor's Quest feel being a post-endor story taking place before the new Jedi Order, but written after more or less the prequels had been in full swing? Would you have liked to see more early post-endor material that was from an out-of-universe perspective, post-prequels, so that in the post-endor era it lined up more with what the prequels were talking about from an in-universe lore perspective? Hope this question wasn't too confusing. So, so any, more, we get it? any more any more pre NJO stories written after the prequels.
1: Yeah, that would have been nice because the way it ends up being handled is kind of clunky, in my opinion, yeah. where Luke basically gets info-dumped in... it's Is it it's Swarm, Swarm War, War right? It. He gets info-dumped because he accesses R2-D2's fucking memory cores. Actually, I think figures.
0: it's... Is it? Yeah, it's in... Yeah,
1: yeah. And that ends up being a little messy. Um, and it's a bit weird because it's just so different than the bantam stuff yeah but like i mentioned we also see a lot of it in it it, it's ends up being a little bit messy because i find a lot of the times they go too far and i and from what i remember from tatooine ghost that's one example where they do go a little too far where it's like it's kitsters in it for some reason yeah (laughs) it's like we know kitster exists so let's throw him in this (laughs) you know what i mean yeah um where, like, I, I do think this book threatened to do something interesting with the discussion of Jedi marriage, but then it just drops that idea completely.
0: Yeah, and, like, it, there was a bit of that in Hand of Thrawn as well, where, like, we find out Luke has known all along about the romantic angle to the no attachment or, like, giving up your oh, attachments yeah. that Yoda had talked about. Like, in the movies, we get, uh, don't put your attachments above what you're trying to accomplish here. Like, yes, you may lose your friends, but they're fighting for something, you're fighting for something. <laughs> Uh, but in the prequels, that goes a lot farther, and then we find out that uh, Yoda had in fact told Luke no boning, despite <laughs> yeah. all these books written on a premise of Luke wants
1: to bone. Yeah, that's one thing that I was going to mention. Um, one of the funny things about Star Wars Legends is the the more books you get, the longer Yoda's talk to Luke gets, because there'll be <laughs> like so many books where like Yoda will be like, or Luke will be like, Yoda mentioned that to me, and I'll be like something kind of obscure, like Yoda mentioned this secret like Jedi detoxification trance using candles. Like, yeah. like when, like when, like, yeah, I <laughs> think I, I a lot of people end
0: up assuming that Luke did go back to complete his training, which he didn't. So,
1: yeah. Well, I think the main issue is there's like, I don't, I don't even know what the official lore answer was for how long as Luke, Luke was on Dagobah. Um, but some people are, some people like assume that it was like months. Um, and like based on some of the math, I I guess like some of the timeline stuff, it's like weeks. When for me, when you watch the movie, it seems like he's on Dagobah for like two days. I think it's a like, bit.
0: I think it comes across as being a bit longer than that because you get like the mm-hmm. the montage. But
1: yeah, uh, maybe a week, but not like yeah. you know th- four months or whatever. Well, even if it um, is
0: months, like the Jedi training for everyone else takes a long time. And Yoda's really got to nail the fundamentals. So it is, yeah. It is. I, I can understand like, oh, Yoda taught me, uh, taught me these, uh, these healing things. Like I can see that being useful enough that Yoda in their limited times, like, you know what? You get sliced by Vader. This is what you can do. If you can escape, you'll still lose your arm, but uh, mm-hmm. maybe you won't be in as much pain. But uh like the whole and don't also forget, over double dinner, tap the
1: wampas the wampas not dead yet
0: <laughs> yeah like over dinner he also told me no fucking on the third day like bro i just met you
1: if you ever meet a machine ghost absolutely don't do it
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't do it <laughs> i know it seems like a good idea but trust me on this one
1: what if she takes the body of my cute student? Oh, well, that's okay then.
0: <laughs> there are a few more stories we do have coming up, like Tatooine Ghost, and I think, like, Scourge is from... Like, fits the bill there, but with characters no one gives a shit about, to the point that I don't think anyone ever thinks of Scourge as being a novel that exists. But... Uh, mm. Is it even called Scourge? Am I getting that wrong? Yeah, it's What the Scourge, fuck is Scourge? It's got... It's Jeff Grubb's novel. It's from 2012, but it's before N.J.O. I have
1: no idea what Scourge even is.
0: Yeah, it's about a Jedi in Luke's Order from, uh, like, 19 A.B.Y. And it makes the Jedi Order seem a lot bigger at that time than it probably was.
1: the fuck but is Scourge? I've never read that in my life.
0: <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I don't think anyone really has.
1: Like, just hearing that, I think it'd be one of those tie-in novels for, like, the... Um, uh, what's it called? Um, The Lost Tribe of the Sith, because they had some tie-in novels, and like those all seem so generic. So like one called Scourge, like sure, but yeah. yeah. Well, I've been, I think it's I've a never tie-in heard of...
0: for like other RPG-based stuff. So I it...
1: literally never heard of that in my entire fucking life.
0: <laughs> no, it's set in it's set in 1980 Y and has like a master Padawan team running around. Uh, and it's not
1: called Don't no. care.
0: Well, you will have to care at some point, because we are definitely reading that for Tapcalf. I'll
1: we're, read the RPG supplement instead.
0: You're not going to read Tempest uh, Feud instead of Scourge. You're going to read both.
1: My favorite part is when they gave the character extra strength. That was sick.
0: We probably very should per- read uh, Fool's Bargain. He was very
1: perspective. Oh, um, did you read the tie-in novella that came with this? I didn't. I didn't, no. But I, okay. I
0: think like for some of our in-between episodes... It might be like short stories like that might be a thing we can cover instead of just like comic books or other media. Mm -hmm. But yeah. But uh, but yeah. So that is it for our emails for this week. There are a few more emails that have been sent over the last couple weeks, but most people were sending them in explicitly for the Q and A period. Uh, And we are about to be going to play some. uh, Oh, golf! Some golf. Yep. Yep. We are Golf going to be doing Golf with that. friends. Are, are you celebrate- streaming it as well? Yeah, I'm going to be streaming it on Twitch. Uh, it's going to be live on X2 as well. So twitch.tv slash CoreyLoses, youtube.com slash E-C-K-S-T-O-O. Uh, and yeah, Scourge, Scourge and Dirge are different. Uh, yeah. Dirge is the bounty hunter. But, uh, but yeah, so thanks for watching everyone. Next week, send in any questions you have for TapCalf Transmissions Q&A 99th episode uh to anything
1: you want doesn't have to be about any book or whatever
0: yeah any honestly the broader the better for that one uh we won't necessarily be able to get to everything but we'll hopefully get to as many as possible we'll also take some questions uh from chat on that one uh and i i want to get some uh like a new layout and everything for for episode 100 really crank up the production value of the podcast going forward because we've been slumming it but we we probably won't we won't improve anything. It'll just be a hundred more episodes of the same bullshit we've been doing. But thank you all for watching throughout the first ninety eight episodes of the podcast. It's been a, a fun ride developing both our our coverage of Star Wars and my friendship with at least at least Ilkin and I guess Justin as well. But
1: uh, Don't get soft on me here. Leave
0: reviews, subscribe, yeah. like, do things Go watch us get drunk and play golf. By everyone.
1: We are got special guests, including some that have been on this podcast.
0: Do you have anything you want to say for like Because I just, I just went all, I waxed. I'll say, wax.
1: I'll save it.